You're listening to We're All All Right, the show that explores all the reasons we have to be hopeful, even joyful, about humanity and about our world today, despite what we see in the headlines. I'm your host, Phyllis Wilson. I think all kids, when we're really, really little, must think, at least for some period of time, that all of the action happening on television is actually happening inside that shiny, sleek, rectangular portal, right? Now that I say that, I wonder if little kids now have different thoughts, the screens they know being smaller and multifunctional. If you have little ones, ask them, would you? And let me know what they say. Anyway, while I don't remember that specific period of my life when I believed that everything was happening literally inside the television, though I'm sure I did believe that for a time, what I do remember distinctly, I might add, is believing that everything on TV and on the radio was happening live. Actors, in my mind, went to the ABC or NBC or CBS company building and performed their shows, and that was beamed to TVs everywhere. Oh, and yes, I was born in a time when there were three television stations and turning the dial on the TV to access them. Oh, musicians and bands, too. In my kid mind, they went to the radio station buildings and they played their songs live. I did know about records, as in LPs. I wasn't sheltered. It's just that somehow I never made that connection. I also distinctly remember feeling profoundly disappointed, dismayed even, when I learned, or more likely figured out, that basically everything except the news and telethons, those were big in those days, everything was recorded. Somehow the authenticity of it all disappeared for me. Little did my kid self know about the affront to authenticity that would come some 30 to 40 years later. With the absence of clear communication, or even, it seems, of strategy, frequently cited as the biggest failure and missed opportunity of the pandemic response, not only in the U.S., but around the world, plus the absolute explosion of misinformation on social media, to the point that for many, it's nearly indistinguishable from facts. I'm thinking about the media, what we're really talking about when we say the media, why we choose one news or information source over another, and whether there truly ever was such a thing as a reliable news source. For this week's five-minute history, I'm going to tackle that last question first. Was there ever such a thing as a reliable news source? My answer is yes. And it depends on what we're talking about when we say reliable. If by reliable we mean consistency, 
dependably on time, having a consistent voice or perspective, then absolutely. The news sources we've relied upon here in the U.S., and I'm going to say it's a safe bet to assume the same is true across the English-speaking world and across Europe, they've absolutely had a consistent voice and perspective and a consistent face delivering it. The face and perspective of the white Western male. When I was young, Walter Cronkite, Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, and Dan Rather were the news. And some of those guys, Cronkite in particular, had been the news for a long time before I was alive and forming cogent thoughts about TV, radio, and life itself. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that these men lied or that their reporting wasn't factual or accurate. What I am saying and acknowledging is that bias exists in and among humans, always. That bias begins way before the words coming out of reporters' or news anchors' mouths. It exists in the tone in which stories are told, and it exists in the choosing of the stories to report, and even before then. Bias is formed through our lived experiences, and our lived experiences are shaped in large part, though not entirely, of course, through how others perceive us. And perceptions are influenced by our gender, our race, and a multitude of other factors, including more that we're born with and can't change. I'm not telling you anything you don't know already. I know that. So, yes, indeed, the news has come from and was not so long ago exclusively a white Western male perspective. Here are some facts that I was in one way shocked by and another not at all surprised by. Here in the U.S., the first woman to co-anchor with a man, naturally, a national nightly evening news program was Barbara Walters in 1976. Barbara Walters, for those who don't know, is white. 1976, that's not so long ago. The first black woman to anchor the national news for a major network was Carol Simpson in 1988 for the Weekend News. The first Asian woman to co-anchor the National Nightly Evening News was Connie Chung in 1993. The first woman to solo anchor the National Nightly Evening News was Katie Couric in, wait for it, 2006. Again, for those who don't know, Katie Couric is a white woman. And of course, many, many, many more women and people of color have broken barriers as contributing reporters, daytime and weekly national anchors, and reporters and anchors at the local and regional levels. But the dates of those firsts that I just mentioned are pretty striking, aren't they? It's worth noting that these historic and historical faces and voices of the news were and are just that, the faces and voices of a brand, 
of a corporation. They weren't the decision makers about what they themselves were reporting and how they reported it. That hasn't changed. It's exactly the same today. Even as those faces and voices have greatly diversified, the same dominant perspective still exists at the decision-making level. I've been focusing on television news, but of course it's the same for radio and print media. And what that means, what that has always meant, is that reporters stand to lose their jobs and potentially their credibility if they refuse to toe the line or express a divergent viewpoint. So when it comes to reporting stories or perspectives that they don't share or agree with, not only do they have to straddle the line between their values and their livelihood, they also need to weigh the benefits of actually having a platform against the restrictions placed on what they can express on it. So, back to the question, was there ever a reliable news source? Well, the other answer is no. Not if what you mean by reliable is that it takes into account multiple perspectives and both transparently acknowledges its bias and continually and actively takes steps to reduce it. Well, that's what I mean by reliable, anyway. And if that exists, whether in or outside of the mainstream media, I have yet to find it. But you know me by now. That doesn't mean we're going to give up hope of ever finding or creating it. Nor does it mean we give up on media altogether. In fact, that's the opposite of what I would suggest. It does mean that we think differently about it. More on how we can do that in just a bit. Hey, hi there. Wow, this is some really good stuff, isn't it? I'm so glad you're enjoying it. And I'm just popping in really quickly to share something else that might pique your interest. If you don't already know, I'm a coach, and this podcast is not only a passion, but an extension of the work that I do with my clients. I mentor experienced coaches, trainers, and consultants to radically up their coaching game so they can firmly establish themselves as the one and only go-to in their niche, and to bring more of themselves to the work they do and to the world we share. If that sounds like you, I would love for you to get in touch. You can do that by heading over to phyllis.wilson.pw and clicking on Talk to Phyllis. Time for a thought experiment. Remember when I posed the question in the beginning, why do we choose to believe one source's information over another? Well, I'm going to answer that now, at least partially. One big reason that we, all of us, choose to put our trust in any particular source or person is that clarity and consistency make us feel safe. So, even the most extreme fringe ideas that in the past would have been disregarded and forgotten, today don't stay so fringe at all by virtue of the fact that audiences are built sometimes into the millions 
in a matter of hours. And if, after going viral, someone doubles down on that one small fringe idea and consistently and clearly expands upon that idea, giving their audience more and more and more, boom, that person becomes a verified source of information. Verified because of the sheer size of their audience and source because they are consistent. So even if their information and ideas in and of themselves are terrifying, our natural tendency, as long as they're clear and consistent, is to trust that source and find comfort in that trust. This, by the way, is why authoritarianism is on the rise globally. It feels safe in an uncertain world to be told what's right and what to do about it. So with that in mind, here's what I'm thinking. Doesn't it stand to reason that facts, you know, the kind backed up with evidence from multiple, multiple sources and even more data points, what if facts and even uncertainties were presented with care, calm, compassion, and dare I include optimism, with the very same clarity and consistency that misinformation has found its way into our lives? Doesn't it stand to reason that those facts, those kinds of messages and ideas would go viral? Because again, that clarity and consistency would help us feel safe. And that sense of safety would have us choosing to believe those sources over others. It makes sense to me that it could. Taking this idea one step further, could messaging done this way actually overtake the misinformation? Or do you believe that we have become so used to the chaos, confusion, and fear that we might reject truth, compassion, and optimism? In other words, at this point, does it feel too unsafe to feel safe? I, for one, am betting that that's not the case, that we can turn this mess around. And I'm not alone in this perspective. The Taiwanese government is actively deploying a tactic they're calling humor over rumor to beat misinformation and its purveyors at their own game. I'll link to an article about this in the show notes. Here's the good news. What it would take for truth to actually overtake information and for positive, innovative, creative, and cooperative ideas to overtake the negative, repressive, fear-based ones, is something totally and completely in our individual power to do. And that is to change our relationship with media, social, mainstream, or otherwise. 
In fact, if you remember listening to the trailer of this podcast, and if you don't remember, you're welcome to go back and listen. It's only three minutes long. Changing my own relationship with the news specifically, and more broadly with the media, was the impetus for this podcast. And assisting you in doing the same is a big part of its continued reason for being. And to do that, I'm going to propose that we start with something rather radical. Forgiveness. A few minutes ago, I described how quickly a once-fringe idea could reach and even build an audience of millions. So you can see how easy it is for someone an otherwise average, everyday person, to gain a tremendous amount of attention. Do you also see, then, how someone hungry for attention, hungry for love, even if it's virtual, even if it's conditional on a good performance, do you see how someone in that position could be swept away by all that attention? And do you see how, from that space, they may lose perspective, lose rational thought, or justify compromising their own integrity? Have you ever done something stupid for love, or what you thought was love at the time? I sure have. And as connected as we humans are today, studies consistently show that we, on the whole, are lonelier than ever. So what if we, and yes, I'm including myself in this because I'm far from perfect at it, what if we accepted as a real possibility, even probability, that those personalities and influencers, social media-based and beyond, who have built some of the biggest audiences on platforms of fear and misinformation, what if they're caught in a trap? A trap of their own making, sure, but one in which changing their minds means losing not just their livelihoods, but the attention and the quote-unquote love that they, that so many of us, are starved for. And then, because we understand, even just a little more, what if we forgive them? Yes, There's much, much more to do than just that. And could it be a start? I, for one, believe that the best we can do begins with forgiveness of our very worst. And I believe we can do that. Whether you can find your way to forgiveness now or you need a little time to get there, this week's resources for doing the best you can consists of some questions to consider to help you make some real changes in your relationship with the media and to help others around you start to do the same, which might even help change some of your relationships for the better as well. Here they are. First, when watching, reading, or listening to a news or information source of any kind, I've gotten into the habit of checking in with myself by asking, how do I feel when I consume this person's or this source's content? Do I feel fearful or more fearful about the state of the world? 
or more doubtful, more skeptical, more pessimistic, more angry? Or do I feel neutral or satisfied, like I received the information I was looking for, and now I'm moving on to other things? Or perhaps I even feel more hopeful, more optimistic about the state of the world, or inspired to think or to do differently. Whatever the answer, whatever your answer, whatever you're feeling, chances are that's exactly what the source you're tuning into wants you to feel, because that's exactly what they are feeling too. That's the headspace, so to speak, that they're reporting from. There's science to back this up, by the way. I'll give you a link to an article on mirror neurons in the show notes. Next, does this source tend to cite or reference a lot of other sources' content? Asked differently, does this source collaborate with other sources, recognizing that real, in-depth journalism takes a great deal of cooperation? Does this source offer multiple perspectives, even ones that conflict and disagree with one another, without its sole purpose being to prove them wrong? Because truly, that's the nature of our world. Many, many infinite numbers of perspectives, most of which are divergent and far, far apart, and all of them containing truth. And finally, does this source regularly admit to its mistakes, its accidental misrepresentations or mischaracterizations or omissions? In other words, do they cop to their shortcomings? In other other words, do they recognize their own humanity? If you accept this challenge, this mission changing your relationship with the media, and start developing the habit of asking yourself these questions, try also asking them, gently, to the people closest to you. Perhaps even try encouraging them to ask questions of themselves. Because by changing our relationship with the media and changing how much attention we give any particular source, considering attention is powerful currency these days, By doing so, we remember and reclaim our own power to make sure that truth wins and our own power to make things right. A final note, I want to mention an article called The Web 3 Renaissance, A Golden Age for Content that I've linked to in the show notes. One of the things that I didn't dive into in this episode was the relationship between media and advertising which is basically how attention gets turned into money, the kind of money that's incredibly seductive and persuasive, particularly for those in desperate need of attention, which is to say, love. Well, Web 3.0 aims to change that by, among other things, taking the financial power, at least some of it, away from advertisers and putting it in the hands of creators directly. I'm by no means an expert on this, and I will admit that some of the terms in this article are challenging, so be prepared to do some Googling as you make your way through it. But I found it fascinating, and when checking in with myself, I felt inspired. Maybe you will too. 
I posed a number of questions in this episode, and as always, I would love to hear what you think. How do you think about the media and about misinformation? Can we change it? Or do you think I'm nuts for my optimism? You can find me and all episodes of this podcast at phyllis.wilson.pw and on Instagram at All Right Podcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to hit follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss an episode of Where All All Right. <laughs>